Uh, where's the Chick-fil-A family at? Where's the Chick-fil-A family? Are you allowed to do that on a Sunday? I just don't, I just don't, think, I just don't think you can do that today. So fans that are, you know, that's short for fanatic, right? And fans like to use a term when talking about the team that they cheer for. You know this term, right? We. We. We played great today. We were terrible today. We finally did it. We finally won the big one. Or we'll get them next year. We. That's, that's what we like to say. Uh, some of you know, uh, but maybe some of you don't, that I'm a graduate of the University of Georgia and been a Bulldog fan lifelong. Please, no tomatoes thrown right now. Um, and we have had a pretty good couple of years. That's what, that's what we say. In fact, I even have, I even have back-to-back national championship rings. Now, I know, you're like, what? Now, I know what you're asking. How did I get these? Where did I get these? I bought them for $37 each on eBay (laughs) because they're replicas and I'm a phony, (laughs) right? And this really isn't an authentic jersey. It's a replica because even though I like to say we, The truth is, I didn't catch a single pass. I I didn't play a single down. I did not not throw a single touchdown. I did not run a single uh, touchdown. I did not make a single tackle. Even though that you are like me when we talk about our team, and I like to say, we, like I wore the jersey, what I really mean is they. Right? I just sat in the stands with my gear on or sat in front of the TV and cheered. But I didn't really do anything. So let me ask you a question. When it comes to our church here at Mountaintop, and you use the word we, do you really mean they? I mean, do you really mean I sit in the stands with my mountaintop t-shirt while they do the ministry? And let, so let me just say here today, so today's message is for those who consider themselves a part of Mountaintop. And if you consider yourself a part of our church family, you've been here a couple of weeks, and you want to get involved, and you say, I think this might be the place where I want to be a part of the church family, this message is specifically for you today. And if you are brand new here today, first of all, you're like, these people really like sports. What did I walk into? Like, I, you know, right? Well, I just wore church clothes, and they, they, they're going to the Super Bowl or something. It's, it's okay. We're so glad you're here. Um, you're going to get a little snapshot into our culture and into who we want to be and who we believe God is calling us to be. But I need to speak to the mountain toppers in the room and that are watching online. My name's Carter McInnes. I'm lead pastor here at Mountaintop. And let me just kind of, let me just dig in. Let me just poke this a little bit 
let me just poke this a little bit further. When you say we, when you're talking about mountaintop, if you say this is my church and you use the word we, is it as phony as my fake rings? Because really what you mean is they. So here's what I want to invite you to do today. I want to invite you to become a part of the we. I want to invite you to become a part of the we. And I want to invite you to not just have a mountaintop t-shirt on and sit on the sidelines. I want to invite you to put on a mountaintop jersey. Whoa. I want to invite you to put on a mountaintop jersey and join the team and get on the field. As our founding pastor, Bill Elder, used to say, to become a player on the field and not just a fan in the stands. And what that looks like here at Mountaintop is something called serve teams. To use your gifts, your talents, your time to join the mission to invite and equip people to follow Jesus. Now, here's, here is the complicated thing about our serve teams. Our serve teams are so good that they can make you feel like you don't need to serve. Right? It's a very complicated thing about our serve teams. They're so good they make you feel like you don't need to serve. There is a team that, that's getting you parked out there, that's greeting you as you come in. There is a team that made sure that the coffee was hot and strong today and that the lemonade was cold and sweet there is an army of volunteers investing in our children right this very minute. And you know this about our kids' ministry, and if you're new to our church, you need to know this. If you bring your kids here or you invite your, your kids, your friends that have kids, their kids are going to love Mountaintop Kids. They're going to love it. They're going to beg their parents to come back the next week because our kids' ministry team is so incredible. You bring your kids on Sunday night to teenagers, to our, your teenagers, to our students, they're going to beg to come back the next week because our mountaintop student team is so incredible. There are people right now working cameras, and you don't even know. Just like turn and look at the people on the cameras, right? Like right now, just turn around and look at the people. Like wave camera, guys. There's this, Yeah. <clears throat> There are people working in the, on the tech team that are behind the scenes every single week, and, and you don't ever see them, and the music is always excellent, and it looks like we have a million musicians because there are different people up here on stage every single week. It is easy to be a consumer in our church, and we designed it that way. Like, we always want to be a place that you can invite your friends who are spiritually at step zero. We always want to be a place that serve people with so much excellence and so much hospitality. Those are a couple of our values that you can invite people and you know they are going to be served so well and they are going to be loved and they are going to be welcomed and you can just come. You don't have to know anything about Jesus, God, or the Bible. You can just come and sit and listen 
and learn and struggle and wrestle with your questions about God and your tensions about Jesus and, and your doubts about the Bible and, and the whole deal. We just, and some of you are that way. Some of you are here today and you're kind of new to church. You're kind of new to, to faith and you're experiencing it. We designed it with you in mind. And some of you, that's been your story. Like you've been here a few months or a few years and some of you decades and you came and you had not been church in forever and you discovered Jesus here or you rediscovered Jesus here. But if we are going to invite and equip more people than you to follow Jesus, then we need dozens, maybe even hundreds of you to step up to become a part of the we of serve teams because here's what I know because I've been doing this a minute too many consumers will eventually consume a church too many people too many people who are simply consumers and not investing in serving giving their time giving their their talents too many consumers will eventually consume a church and we need you to step up and serve. We need you to step up and serve kids and students so that your children, so that, so that other families and other kids can experience what your kids have experienced. In fact, right now, we need about 15 to 20 more volunteers in our Mountaintop Kids Ministry. You have done such an incredible job of inviting your friends, of inviting families with kids, and we have exploded downstairs. There are some Sundays we have 15, 16 babies in the nursery, and that's a good problem to have. Like We are so grateful. We love investing in the next generation. It is so much of our heartbeat. We're building a facility for it. We are for families because we are for the next generation in Birmingham. But we need you to step up to help serve them so that when new families come, that they can experience the same level of hospitality and excellence that your family experienced when you came here. We need you to serve and step up into the parking lot because I believe the sermon starts in the parking lot. And if you're frustrated when you get out of the car because parking was a nightmare, it's going to be really hard for our band and our message to overcome that. We need some of you, our guitarists, or vocalist, or you play one of these other instruments on stage, and it's time for you to step in and serve. And let me just say this. Yes, the band is a little bit different. We have auditions, right? But some of you know you're good enough. You know you're good enough, and you know God has gifted you with the art of music, and it is time for you to get off the sidelines and get onto the field and use your gift for the glory of God. Because too many consumers will eventually consume a church. And this isn't about filling spots. This isn't about getting a roster. I want you to be a part of the we. I want you to feel like what it means to be a part of the mission. I want you, and, and listen, this will be one of the most rewarding things that you have ever been a part of. 
This will be one of the most fulfilling things that you have ever done to join a mission of an outward-facing church that is trying to reach people with the love and grace of Jesus Christ, that you get to be a part of their stories, that you know when you see a baptism that you made them feel welcome in the parking lot, that you made them feel welcome with coffee, that you made that child feel welcome and loved and taught about Jesus downstairs. You made that parent feel safe to drop off their kids. To be a part of that, listen, I'm telling you, you can't imagine what it's like just to be a part of that. And I want you to experience that because we need you because make no mistake, we are trying to win a championship. And every Sunday morning is game day. We are trying to win people, win souls for the gospel of Jesus Christ to people who do not know Jesus, and we are trying to defeat our enemy who is on the prowl, trying to steal, kill, and destroy. But we serve a champion Savior, and we need team members to be a part of it. And here's, here's the thing. I believe that this could unlock revival in our church and maybe even our city because it's happened before. <clears throat> what I want to share with you today is the backstory to the story of the church. And it's kind of a backstory that almost nobody ever preaches about or talks about. It might be something you're not aware of. It's in my favorite book of the Bible, the book of Acts. I love the book of Acts. It's, it's a very unique book. It's the only book that is written about the birth of the early church and, and that movement. Um, and it's one of those stories that if you are curious about faith, new to faith, or, or you've kind of thinking about church, thinking about Jesus, but you're not sure about it, this might be one of those stories that makes you consider this, that makes you see that the earliest disciples did not think this was just a story. That they believed this with all their heart. And if you've left the faith, you've abandoned faith, this might be one of those things that makes you reconsider faith when you see the passion that these guys had and what they were willing to do for the sake of the message. A couple of months ago, really back about uh, March, early April, I was scrolling through social media and I really do not listen to other preacher sermons during the week, I, maybe once in a blue moon. I read a lot, listen to a lot of podcasts, but um, I was scrolling through and I saw that Andy Stanley at North Point Community Church was preaching on this passage. And I love this passage and I love the book of Acts and I was so curious. I was like, that, that, I gotta listen to that. And I thought at that moment, I thought of this day. A day before we are ready to invite more people to follow Jesus and equip them to follow Jesus than ever before. The Sunday before school starts back, the Sunday before even more people come to check, check out church and check out Jesus. I said, I want to preach on that, on that scripture passage that day because I want to invite our people into that. So if you don't know much of the story, let me kind of refresh you. Jesus is crucified, the whole Easter story. He resurrects three days later on Easter Sunday. And a lot of people don't know this. He hangs around for like 40 days with the disciples, but it's really a small group. It's about 120 followers. There's the 11 disciples that kind of stuck with Jesus and, you know, a, a hundred or so more. And then he ascends into heaven and he's gone. About 10 days after Jesus ascends into heaven, those 120 were gathered together in a room praying. 
And something happened to them. They, they experienced something that they couldn't hardly explain. They were compelled by a force they didn't even have the words for. We call it the Holy Spirit. And, and they were compelled to go into the streets of Jerusalem and preach that their rabbi had not only been crucified, but that he was killed for their sins and for the forgiveness of everybody's sins. And get this, that he had been raised from the dead. That he had been raised from the dead. And because there was a Jewish festival going on, the streets were packed. There were Jews from all over the area. And the people were amazed, not just at the message. That was pretty profound. That was pretty wild, what they were preaching. But they were amazed at their courage. That the disciples were risking their lives in the very streets where Jesus had been dragged on the way to his crucifixion. They seemed fearless even though they were almost certain to be arrested for the actions they were now taking and for the message they were now teaching, just like Jesus was. Eventually, 3,000 people were saved. And soon, everybody in Jerusalem was talking about this resurrected rabbi in Nazareth. Now, you can imagine how this made the religious leaders in Jerusalem feel. In fact, Luke, who wrote the book of Acts and wrote the gospel of Luke, one of the four accounts of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, Luke, he knew all the disciples. And he wrote that the chief priest and his kind of court of other priests, there was a name for this group of religious leaders called the Sanhedrin. He said that the chief priest and the Sanhedrin, they were filled with jealousy over what was happening. I mean, they said to one another, listen, we finally killed their leader. We finally got rid of the guy that had started this whole mess, and we thought that would end it. And now this movement that was 120 people is bigger and better than ever before. What are we going to do? So those chief priests, the Sanhedrin, they get their henchmen and go into the temple courts and into the streets of the Jerusalem, and they have the disciples, those who were preaching, those that had been apostles with Jesus, they have them arrested. And they bring them to them. And they say, listen, you got to stop it. Or you're going to end up just like your leader. And they throw them into prison for the night. Now, prison's are not like the county jail, right, that we are used to. Prisons in that day were a hole in the ground, a giant hole in the ground with maybe some kind of covering over the top of it, some kind of door that you would get in through the top, a hole in the ground with no drainage where other people had been in prison. Do you get the picture? Do I need to spell that out more? It's not a great place to be. So they're in prison overnight, and they're, the chief priests have this idea that, like, we're going to deal with these guys in the morning. We're going to be really firm with them, really strict with them about what their parameters are going to be when they go, they go back out. But listen to what Luke writes. Who knew all these guys? Listen to what he writes in Acts chapter 5, what happened in the middle of the night. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. And this is what the angel said to them. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, 
and tell the people about this new life. Now, I have never been in jail. I'd like to keep that. I gotta, I'm undefeated in that. I'd like to keep that. I don't want to be in jail. But perchance, I spent a night in the slammer. And I got freed by an angel. I think I would be careful not to go back out and do the activity that just got me put in jail. Anybody? Come on. Can I get an amen? Like, I'm like, I will, thank you, Lord. I will consider that a bullet dodged. Uh, and I'm going to go, maybe I'm going to move to a new town or I'm going to do something else, but not these guys. Not these guys. They are obedient to exactly what the angel says. Now, in the meantime, when the Sanhedrin gathers back the next morning and they're kind of getting there with their meeting and they've all got their, their morning coffee and they're like, okay, we're going to bring these guys in and we're really going to tell them what's what. And soon there are a couple of guards come and they're like, they, they're not there. We don't know what happened. We had guards there all night. We thought everybody was... And just as they're just all up in a frenzy about what has gone with their security system and how could they get broken out, just as soon as they are just getting so anxious and angry, somebody comes into the meeting that the high priests are having. And it says this, then someone came and said, look, don't worry, don't worry. The men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. If you guys are looking for them, they're over there. They didn't flee they haven't scattered. They are, have not gone into hiding. They have gone to the busiest place in town. They have gone to the very epicenter of Jewish religious power to teach and preach that their rabbi was the Messiah. So, <laughs> the religious leaders, the Sanhedrin, has them re-arrested and they bring them back before them and they're like guys we'll talk about what happened last night in a minute but we got you back here we told you that you have got to stop preaching in this name you have stirred up everybody in this town and you've been talking about this death that happened a couple of months ago and you're going to make everybody think that we're guilty of this man's blood and Peter who is kind of the ringleader of the bunch, stands up and goes, you kind of are. In fact, let me give you a short outline of Peter's sermon. You killed him, God raised him, we saw him, and I say you're sorry. <laughs> that was it. You killed him. Like you... I mean, you were the guys that marched him in front of the Roman governor Pontius Pilate and asked for him to be executed because you didn't have the authority to execute someone, but Pontius Pilate did. And when Pontius Pilate gave you the choice of a really a rebel, a, a radical named Bar, you know, Barabbas and Jesus, you said, give us Barabbas and crucify this guy. You did it. But God raised him from the dead, and we're not sure how, and we're not sure what it was all about. But listen to, what, listen to what Peter says next in the next verse. He says, we are witnesses of these things. We saw him. We're not making this up. Do you think we would risk our lives in these streets? Do you think that we would, we would do all this for some story that we made up? And Peter would be the first to tell you. I wanted to go back to my own way of life, to being a fisherman. I, wanted, I made so many mistakes with this guy, you don't know. 
but I had breakfast with him on the beach the day after he resurrected. We saw him. Thomas, tell him, you stuck your finger in his nail-scarred hand. Say you're sorry. Peter would say, this experience has changed us, and it can change you too. You can repent, and you can claim this Messiah for yourself. But they don't. They do have a little side meeting, though, and they have a long discussion about what to do with these guys. Some people think that they should kill them. They should just execute them and maybe this movement or die. But they decide instead that they're going to let them go. But not, not before they deal with this problem. So this is what happens when they bring them back in the room. <clears throat> they called the apostles in and had them flogged with a whip, with metal pieces and the tassels over and over again on their backs, just like Jesus was flogged before he went to the cross. Had them flogged. And then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. <clears throat> they probably had to be helped out of the room because they couldn't walk from the beating that they'd taken. And bloodied and bruised, they left rejoicing because they had been counted worthy for suffering Disgrace for Jesus. Disgrace because for the rest of their lives, when they took their shirt off and someone saw their back, everyone would know that these were men who had been arrested. Their scars were a permanent criminal record because you were only flogged if you'd run into trouble with the law. And as soon as their scars had healed just enough for them to be able to stand for a shirt to touch their scabbed over wounds, they went right back into the temple courts, right back from house to house to preach because they had no fear of death because they believed that their Messiah had conquered death once and for all. And these are our people. They are why we are here. They risked their lives and they suffered 
to tell others about the resurrected king and that we could have eternal life too. And they told somebody who told somebody who told somebody who told somebody who 2,000 years later told you and told me. Their courage created an energy in the movement like never before. But this energy created a growth in such a way that the movement hit a growth lid. Have you ever been a part of an organization that just sort of seemed to hit a growth lid? They hit one. They hit a logistical problem. They had all this courage. They had the power of the Holy Spirit. And right after this, when they go back to the temple courts and they go back to house to house preaching, they hit a logistical, a structural, a systematic organizational growth lid. They, they faced a problem. Here's what it was. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing because there was so much energy, because people were inspired by their courage, the Hellenistic Jews, meaning the Greek-speaking Jews, among them complained against the Hebraic Jews, meaning the, the Hebrew-speaking or Aramaic-speaking Jews, because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Now, the good news that I tell any young pastors going into ministry is that, listen, there has been complaining in the church since day one, okay? People always be complaining. Can you imagine the disciples this, like they're complaining about once. Could I show you my back? Would you like to complain some more? They're just complaining. When there's a systematic problem, when needs aren't getting met, there is, there's just complaining. And the problem is, you know, this problem isn't favoritism. It's probably just the Hellenistic Jews were probably Greek-speaking Jews who were saved on the day of Pentecost, and they were in town for the festival and decided to move their whole lives to Jerusalem because that's what the early church did. They did everything together. But they're not getting fed, probably because nobody knows them. Right? They're just feeding the, uh, the other people that they know first, and there's just not enough food to go around. and It's just a problem. It is too big for them to serve well. So they do what Christians do when they have a problem. And what do we do when we have a problem? We call a church meeting. They have a church meeting. So the 12 gathered all the disciples. So this is like by this time like 3,500 people. They gather everybody. They, have, they gather everybody. And they said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. They call this meeting and they say, listen, we got to figure out another system. We got to figure out another way. And hear me out on this. It was not that they were too good to serve food. It was that they were not good at it. There's like, we're failing miserable in this, miserably in this. Like, we're not good at this. We, we are disappointing people. This is not our gift set. They were best at teaching and preaching what Jesus had taught them because they were the only 11 of the bunch that had actually spent three years with Jesus. So they handed over things in a growing church that had to be done 
for others so that they could do what they do best. They handed this responsibility to others to solve the problem. They don't even tell them how to do it. We need to find somebody and turn this responsibility over to them to solve a problem, to serve needs that need to be met. And if you've never been to a church meeting, something happens in this church meeting. This is a miracle, right? Something happens in this church meeting that has not happened in a church meeting since. Okay? This proposal pleased the whole group. <laughs> not one dissenting vote. Everybody's happy. 3,500 people are like, that's a great idea. It's a great idea. It's never happened since. So they chose some people, a couple of these names you will recognize. In, in May, I taught a series called Influencer. Some of these guys were part of that. They, were, they became prominent. Others, it's the only time we ever hear from them in the Bible. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, they became more prominent. But these guys we don't know much about. Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. Everyone thought it was a good idea. They chose these people. Luke writes later that they prayed over them. They laid hands on them. And they ordained them to serve food. And this handing over of responsibility of what seems like a very simple task, this deploying of servants, this unleashing of leaders to things that needed to be done unlocks something in the early church movement that had not been unlocked before. So the word of God spread. And every time previous to this in Acts, it talks about the number of disciples was increasing. It was increasing daily. It grew. But he never uses this word until this moment. The number of disciples increased rapidly. All of a sudden, something about this caused exponential rapid growth. And check this out. This is an unbelievable sentence. And a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. There was not only exponential growth, but there was something about this that unlocked a door into the political sector, into the public world, into some people that they had not previously influenced. And some of the priests who had overseen their flogging just a few days before, some of the priests that were in the room that voted to have Jesus execute, executed and marched him to Pontius Pilate, some of those same priests became obedient to the faith, gave their lives to Jesus and confessed to the resurrected Lord. Something happened because people served. And you may wonder, what, what does exponential growth, what does all of that have to do, the rapid increasing of disciples have to do with serving food or making coffee or changing diapers or getting people in the parking lot in here or being on the tech team or the social media team or mountaintop kids and students? What does all that have to do? How did that do that? What's that have to do with all that? Because they did what needed to be done in a moment so that the mission could move forward. And they are why we're here. And now it's your turn. 
and we don't need seven of you. We need hundreds of you to give your life for the sake of the mission. And here's what I want to challenge you with. Here's what I'm asking you to give yourself for a mission greater than yourself. And it's not going to be convenient. Some serve teams, it'll mean you have to get here early. Some means it'll have to stay late. Some serve teams mean you have to worship one hour and then serve the other hour. Some means, if you're on the tech team, means you serve both services. I'm asking you to be inconvenienced for the sake of those who do not yet know the love and grace of Jesus Christ because you were there at one time and I was there at one time and somebody served you and somebody served me and now it's our turn. Because here's what I know. Very soon, a young mom is going to wrangle her family to come to church for the first time. She's going to get everybody together and get them out of the house. And her husband doesn't really want to come, but his mom and dad have been nagging him about getting their grandchildren in church. But it's been years since they've been in church because they went to college and they partied a little and, you know, they just got out of the habit and they just never picked it up again. But now they've got a three-year-old, a nine-year-old, and a 14-year-old and they know they need help. And they're nervous because their kids don't even know what church is and don't even know how to act. And she's just hoping her kids will like it. And that's going to be a challenge because her nine-year-old is one of those kids who doesn't like anything. And she's hoping they have some good hot coffee because they've never gotten three kids out of the house to get to church. So they're running late and they didn't have time to go to Starbucks to pick up her husband's coffee and he is already in a mood. And she's not sure if they're going to feel welcome. She's not going to sure if this is going to feel like home. And she knows that her family is not where it should be spiritually. And she knows that they're not where they should be emotionally. And she wants to help them get there. And she knows that her 14-year-old is facing temptations and dangers and struggles because of social media that she never dealt with. And she is praying that we get it right. She is hoping that you and I get it right. And I see it every Sunday because I stand at that front door. And I see college kids walking, looking for a place to belong, away from mom and dad for the first time in their life. I see families walk in, look around at where they're supposed to check in their kids, knowing they need help. They need a village to help raise those kids. I see young adults wondering if they fit in a church with all these children and all these married people. I see empty nesters walk in looking for purpose for the second half of their life. I meet people who have moved here from Dallas and Knoxville and Atlanta and Nashville and Jacksonville and all over the U.S. for a job in Birmingham, looking for a home in a city that doesn't quite feel like home yet. And all of them are hoping one thing. They're hoping we get it right. And getting it right most likely will not look like a sermon or a song. It will look like someone serving them 
in an extraordinary way. So I'm asking you to give yourself for a mission greater than yourself. I'm asking you to join the we of serve teams and play for the name on front of your jersey and not the name on the back. And here's my promise to you, no flogging. <laughs> right, we've cut that out of the serve team training. I just want you to walk out those doors and sign up for a team. And that does not mean you're locked into that team for the rest of your life. Sign in where we need help. Sign in how you can help. Sign in with your gifts and your talents, what you can commit to. Come this afternoon at 3.30, from 3.30, 6.30. We're going to have food for you. We're going to have a big volunteer rally. And you can sign up to serve, and we'll feed you for free today, this afternoon. And give yourself for a mission greater than yourself. Serving in the local church changed the world once and sparked a revival. And I believe together that we, Team Mountaintop, we can do it again. Can I pray for you? Heavenly Father, thank you for this incredible church that makes so many feel loved and welcomed and appreciated. Thank you for those that volunteer every single week or every other week and give their lives for the sake of the mission. Lord, I just pray for those right now that feel um, like they're not sure what they have to give, what they can give, Lord. I just pray that they give it. Lord, that, that we would give ourselves for a mission greater than ourselves and that you would do with it what only you can do. We ask you, to use our offering of our time, our talents, to spark revival again in our city. In Jesus' name, amen. So today we're not going to close with a song because I want to give you time to go and sign up. Uh, we've got some soft drinks that you can have, just mingle around, getting to meet somebody new, maybe meet somebody that's uh, got on one of your team's colors or maybe your rival. Two things. When you walk out today, you're going to get one of these bracelets. We've got kid sizes, adult sizes. It says one message on it on the front. It says, we, not they. And we want to just invite you to uh, take one of those, take an armband, and join the team. On the inside of it, against your skin, it says, for the mission. And I want to invite you to wear it as a daily reminder that I am for what Jesus is doing on planet Earth. Next Sunday is a big Sunday. We've got fall kickoff. It's going to be a party outside. I'm beginning a brand new series called Belonging. I think we all have a longing to belong. And this is an awesome opportunity for you to invite friends, neighbors, family, coworkers who are curious about God, curious about faith, unsure about Jesus, but I know this, God has put a hole in our heart that can only be filled by belonging to him. And we're going to look at some of the stories that tell us how Jesus invited anybody and everybody from all walks of life to belong to him. It's a great Sunday to invite a friend, find a way to serve, invite a friend, have an awesome rest of the week. God is for you. We are for you. And every Sunday, the next word we say is a, con is a contracted word, L-E-T apostrophe S. 
You know what that means? Let us. Every Sunday we say it because it's an invitation to be a part of the we. So, let's be for Birmingham.